Eric, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm good. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, it really has. I I really haven't been science communicating as much as I should be uh, in the last couple months, but uh, I'm really happy to have you back on the podcast. Um, aren't you supposed to be going on like a bachelor trip or something this weekend? Is is that was that yeah, the plan? Yeah, those those plans kind of blew up, but <laughs> that's, that's what happens. Oh yeah. yeah. With whenever you're trying to schedule something with a group, it's always extremely difficult, but no, I'm really happy to have you back. It, but this, this was a, this is a special meeting because you just finished up writing your book. I know it hasn't kind of come out yet. It's, this is the, yes, this is, this is the show that we're going to be discussing the book and, and kind of bringing it to light. So everybody gets excited about it. So I'm happy yes, that, have, that we can collaborate. The zeroth edition. I have the, the zeroth edition before it's like really official or anything, but uh, rational answers to stupid questions, uh, debunking the arguments of flat earthers, creationists, evolution deniers, and more. And that subtitle might change slightly, mm -hmm. but that's uh, that's what I got so far. The book is, I'd say the book is 99% done. I just got to go one more like comb through and some of the fine details and the polishing. It's just mm. like it's just like making something, building it. You think once it's built, you're done, but you're not even half done because of all the polishing and stuff you have to do. Uh, moving is like that, which I'm sure you know. You get all the stuff out, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm pretty much done." It's like, no, you're almost half done once you get all your stuff out because of all the little work you have to do. Definitely, definitely. So, uh, I guess my question is, what was the motivation on the wording for the title? Did you you because like it it definitely stands out to me, but also it holds a very uh, strong word in saying stupid. What what made you want to pick that title? Just because I thought it would stand out. Um, <laughs> you know, very. Uh, at one point in the book, I say something to the effect of. Uh, uh, rational responses to illogical claims. Just I halfway through that, and people are going, "Yeah, what else do they got here?" Um, but you know, it is it is clickbait. I'm mm -hmm. I'm I'm not really ashamed to admit it. I just wish that I, I wish it didn't have to work that way. But I feel like you got to get yourself out there somehow, and that's basically that's basically it. Oh no, we're we're in a clickbait world. I, I was listening to a podcast. Um, was it oh star talk and uh brian green oh yeah obviously famous physicist mathematician and uh you know they were talking about his newest book and <laughs> uh, neil degrasse tyson was pretty much like you know this is such a clickbaity title <laughs> and he's like i know i have to be because like how else am i gonna sell books these days <laughs> so totally understandable yeah. why you would throw that word in there makes sense and we're we're competing with nonsense and uh uh fraudsters and hucksters and new age nonsense and, and all this other stuff where they're you know somebody's always trying to sell you something on the other side and i'm just trying to let the truth speak for itself and yeah. uh i the, the truth is too important not to engage in let's just say strategic tactics yeah so you're saying like everyone that says quantum physics on the internet isn't just trying to sell you something? <laughs> uh, they 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 mostly are. Yeah, the uh, self-help gurus and the people that claim they've tapped into something that the rest of us don't know about and how you can unlock. I'm actually, funny enough, I already started writing my second book, 
nope. which is uh, facts that aren't true. Uh, facts mm. that aren't true is going to become a book. And uh, just to give the short of it, I just started doing this was just a concept for a short video playlist on my uh, TikTok channel. And after doing a lot of those, I've done like over 60 of them, I think some of them, nice. it just got to the point where I was like, I, I'm not really doing this justice, just quick recording it on my phone, because there's a rich history behind a lot of this. And sometimes there's really detailed science behind all of it. The very first claim in the book, the very first untrue fact is that we only use 10% of our brain, right? And so this made me this uh, made me think about that because a lot of that comes from people that are like trying to sell books or DVDs or herbal supplements mm -hmm. to untap your unused potential in the brain because they're claiming they have access to something. So uh, facts that aren't true. That'll be a new another podcast we can do hopefully before oh, too be long. Cool. That would be cool. It's, yeah, no, that's awesome. Writing that book is so cool. I'm having so much fun writing that book. Oh, that's awesome. And it, it's kind of nice because it's like a break. You don't have to continuously follow some sort of um, like it's it's not like a, a chronological order. It's just kind of like um, you're, you're it's like a black mirror of a book almost. I, I guess is a, a good way to put that. Yeah, I don't I don't have to. I'm not telling a story. Mm. I don't know if I have the the creative juice to do that. Uh, so doing one thing at a time, though, mm -hmm. I, I can do that. And that's what rational answers to stupid questions is like that. It's individual claims that each require their own response. You know, sometimes sometimes the the proper thing to do is just to dissect the terrible logic of what they're saying, how it's how it's backwards or or it's almost like it contradicts itself or the alternative explanation is is worse or uh, or they're engaging in special pleading. Other times, a claim vaguely tries to sound scientific, and so we talk about the real science behind it. Um, and other times, it's just dumb, and it's and we have fun going over the uh, the silliness of it. Yeah, so that's funny enough. I did a uh, with, with the whole the the point of stupid being in the in the title. I mm. actually I had my dad read part of the book, and he kind of was like, "Do you really want to like say?" stuff like that in your book but I, I did a word search in my book and i actually have the book right here because i don't remember off the top of my head it only ap appears a dozen times in the entire book and you know a couple of those are just the uh the title being mm. said so um there's really not oh you know what that's actually those are in the head it might actually be far less than that now that i think mm. about it um whenever yeah, i was yeah, it's, reviewing it's about it. a dozen times yeah. yeah, whenever I was um, reviewing it, there wasn't a lot of like words that stood out to me like that, that were like, I, I don't know, heady or or just kind of like forward like that. Yeah, it was it was elegant, yeah. elegantly written, I yeah. thought. Uh, it, it's, but it's not a book of insults, except in the flat earth section, because not everything deserves respect. But like, you know, the words stupid and dumb and, and I don't think idiot appears anywhere in the book or anything like that. So. So yeah, that's just good. I'm just saying, I'm just yeah. saying. It, it it was written how you typically communicate as well, like on TikTok. You're not like out there to to like shame people, unless it's a flat earther that was that's probably being rude. But like, essentially, it's yeah, yeah. it's just trying to educate is, and it's no, it's good. Um, so that's kind of like why you you wrote the book. But is there anything else that you kind of wanted to state? What got you into writing this book, other than the the message of it 
Yeah, it was around. Um, I, I started writing the book either at the end of January or the end of February. I don't remember. I, I could look on the Google Doc and find out. But um, I just basically had been, I, I always thought to myself, like, you know, I read all these books and I, like, I know all this stuff, but what am I doing with this information other than like kind of hoarding it? And mm -hmm. so I started doing the, the TikTok live streams where I talk to people and, you know, I, I'm best known for debating, but I just have other times people come up and it's like I'm doing office hours. They just have questions and we, I, I answer those questions for people, right? So I started to think I, I want something more than just this online library that, yeah, literally tens of millions of people have seen these things, which is cool to think about. But I, I, for years, I've sort of fantasized over the idea of writing a book. I just never knew what I would write a book about. I've thought about writing my own curriculum uh, for like mm. biology or earth science, because that's what I've, that's what I have the most experience in teaching. But I never mm. really knew how I would ever do that. But then eventually, you know, with all the stuff I do online, I, I got to the point where I was like, you know, it'd be really cool to have a handbook basically. And, and that, that's sort of what this is. You will, it, it, it's, it's not really a book on how to do anything. It, it's, it's not an instruction manual on how to argue. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also, I wouldn't call this a science textbook either. It's not a book about evolution or astronomy or science or the big bang. It's not a book about those things, but you will learn, uh, Although you might not learn how to argue, you'll learn what not to do because yeah. I, I do the best I can to try to point that out. Uh, you will learn, you'll learn a lot about evolution. If you don't know much about evolution, I, you should learn a lot by going through this because in order to figure out and discuss why this claim like genetic entropy, which I could talk forever about, why this is false is because of the basic tenets of natural selection and how it works. So you will learn tons of science in this, uh, but it's not a science book, I guess I would say. So I, I I thought it would be interesting and entertaining to read. I get to express myself because, you know, I have a sense of humor. I think that's why a lot of people watch my stuff. But, you know, I'm knowledgeable too, but uh, I I did so much research in order to do this book. Uh, the I think I have 146 citations in there, which I think is a pretty decent amount. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, for anybody that's curious or interested in just like the absurd humor of flat earth theory, because that's interesting to learn about, or mm -hmm. I want, I like, I believe in evolution, but I, I don't maybe necessarily understand it all that well. This book could work for you too. If you're just passionate about science in general, this book will work for you too. So it, it serves a lot of different purposes, but basically I just wanted to turn what I do online into, in, into print. And yeah. for many different reasons, anybody could pick this up and, and have fun reading it. Yeah, I agree. It's something that's like communicated in a, it, literally in a science communication way, not in like a science way. And it's, it's definitely something that you can, that you can breeze through and, um, and learn things. It's not like it's, it's it's in depth in its moments, and I think that's that's important. It's not in depth fully, 
and I like that. It's 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 readable. <laughs> it's it's a good way to put it. Yeah, the the thing is, um, this is sometimes a really bad question has an extremely intricate answer. And that mm -hmm. happens in here a lot. Sometimes sometimes what you're saying just literally isn't true <laughs> and there's not a lot to say about it. But mm -hmm. uh, other times, no, like bad questions can have really interesting answers. Yeah, agreed. Um, so randomly, I was just in um, Germany and Poland in the last couple of weekends. And I was talking to uh, some people about the education system in both of those countries and uh, what, what the US education system is kind of like and how it stacks up. Um, and while there are um, conspirers, you know, just all over the place in, in like um, uh, where, wherever humans reside, um, it's, it's funny what people believe and what people don't believe in different areas. Um, to me, and I, and I still will stand on this hill that uh, it's, science education in the U.S. Is, is is probably lacking. I mean, the numbers are there to, to kind of show versus uh, certain de uh, developed countries like Poland and, and Germany. Uh, we're, we're not anywhere near the top in terms of our, um, our science literacy. So I feel like this book is a good way to, to kind of point fingers at that and show like, hey, these are either common occurrences of things that you've you've witnessed in your science communicating career. And, um, you know, it, it's good to kind of bring light to that. So people realize where our, our science education has, has kind of failed in some aspects, other aspects, it's kind of cultural. It's, you know, how people were raised or their, their own conscious experience and stuff like that. So it's, it's very multifaceted, but it definitely points fingers at that sort of, uh, that sort of failure. Yeah. 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 No, uh, I guess I agree. I, you know, I learned, I've learned so much more about like literally the way science works and, you know, mm -hmm. I, I have a degree in biology, but I took one class on evolution and I wish I could talk to me from the past because me from the past didn't actually know that much about evolution. Uh, I know so much more now because of countless hours of YouTube videos and a lot of the, the books I've, I've mm -hmm. read. So yeah, this book serves for any, like I, I kind of already said this, but like anybody that wants to know more about like the way science works, evolution, some stuff about genetics and the big bang and, and ge geology and paleontology will, you can learn a lot by reading this book. Yeah. So what are the most, uh, what are the most surprising things that you learned while writing this book? Just curious. Um, I, I talk, I quote the Bible a lot. <laughs> which which is kind of funny. Uh, a lot of it is like in the flat earth section because they're kind of obsessed with that. But mm. uh, the uh, the by far the source that I cite the most is the National Institute of Health or the National Library of Medicine. They're they're like mm. the same thing. The URL is the the I'm not going to get the acronyms right. The N National Library of Health and or whatever. It's the the NIH and the yeah. NLIB or, or whatever it is. They're mm -hmm. like the same thing, basically. But I I went to that source so much for everything because they actually publish scientific papers. So mm -hmm. it was it was extremely relevant. Um but one of the most surprising things was um it was incredibly easy to find sources for almost everything in the book. 
And I think that's a reflection that I'm arguing about basic scientific facts, not fringe theories or or anything like that. So I, I think that's just a testament to really how bad the arguments against the 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 science are in here. Because there aren't there are very few sophisticated arguments against it at all uh, that are in there. Um and another thing that was really surprising was uh writing a book is actually really, really enjoyable. It's cool, it's fun. Uh it's a huge amount of work, but mm. uh I, I learned so many new things and I got to demonstrate I got to put theory into practice. Do I actually, am I actually as clever as I think I am? Do I actually know as much as I, as I think I do? Well, at the end of this, I, I think I can say, yeah, uh, which, which is nice. So it's, it's extremely rewarding mm -hmm. uh, writing a book. It's, it's not, it, it's laborious, but it's enjoyable. You know, it's like working out. No, nobody, nobody regrets working out. It's very hard to make yourself do it, but who the heck leaves the gym and is like, man, I wish I didn't do that. <laughs> Nobody, unless, unless like you broke your leg or something, but. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, that's actually really cool. So uh, we're gonna jump out of segment one and then whenever we come back, we're gonna treat the next uh, two segments about just kind of going through the book and going through the common misconceptions in each of the sections. So stick around. Okay, we're back. This is segment two, and we're going to start talking about the sections in the book. And for this one, we're going to talk about the evolution section, the Big Bang section, and then science in general. And then we'll transition to some of the more, in, in my opinion, the silly aspects <laughs> of the book where yes. we talk about <laughs> yeah, young, Earth, uh, young Earth and uh, Flat Earth. But, um, but let's start talking about evolution because that uh, section kind of stood out to me. And one thing that I said before, uh, when, well, I guess when we were in break is that like, for me, uh, for my personal statement, I went to a school that, well, a high school, we'll just say, that never uh, taught me evolution. I didn't learn evolution until I was in university on my own. And I never even took a biology course in, in university. So everything I've learned has been through like what you said, YouTube videos or, or books or just talking to people that actually understand biology. It's, it, it's an absolute shame. So people that someone like me that has never been taught this before is it's a good section to, to kind of read through and go, wow, I really shouldn't think this way. Or these are the questions that I, I should be asking. And these are the answers that like actually <laughs> make sense from like, um, is it maybe like a, in a colloquial, uh, you know, aspect, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. take me through the evolution, evolution section and what like stood out to you as common misconceptions. Sure. Real quick before we do that, um, we yeah. kind of, you and I know the book because we both, I wrote it and you've read it, but yeah. um, I, I did talk about this a little bit. What mm -hmm. the book is, is it's it's literally just a list of claims. I think there are 91 of them or something like that. And so it, it just starts off with imagining somebody says to you, for example, if humans come from apes, why are there still apes? So then what I do is, you know, claim if humans come from apes, why are there still apes? And then, you know, it's it's the written out formal response to it. So that's like the the structure of the book. And I know we kind of hit that, but the reason as we go through these sections, just the way you want to think about it is it's just a, a list of things that people mm -hmm. say, claims and, 
and whatnot. So anyways, um, yeah, the, the evolution section is, I don't know percentage-wise exactly, but it's about, it's probably about 35% of the book, maybe 40% of the book. It's, it's because evolution is by far, you, you know, I thought if, if humans come from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? I thought that mm -hmm. was sort of the bait. I, I thought that was everybody's problem with evolution. Uh, <laughs> and I was just, after doing this for several years, it's just, it's amazing how many just wrong arguments against it there are the the, the stuff that people come up with is mm -hmm. pretty shocking so like i said this is by far the biggest part of the book it's also the thing i'm probably most knowledgeable of so that's probably why it's also pretty big too mm -hmm. but the sort of big without uh without reading the book or giving too much away yeah the bit the bit the big things in there so the major issue is that uh the people that say the claims that you hear in this book, they don't know what evolution is. I mean, they just absolutely don't. They, they, because they demand things that evolution does not claim, mm -hmm. which it, normally we would call that a straw man argument, but they're unironically doing it, meaning they don't realize that what they're saying is so silly and fallacious. They actually think that's this is the actual scientific stance. So, for example, people say things like, show me one example of a dog turning into a cat. This theory of evolution has never said that something like that can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, not in the way they're, they're claiming. For, first of all, being related to something doesn't mean you came from it, right? There, there's one part in this book, one of my favorite quotes by me in the book is that uh, people say, uh, uh, well, we're also 50% the same as mushrooms. So does that mean that we come from mushrooms? And what they don't understand is that my DNA is 99.99% identical to some stranger. But that don't mm -hmm. make him my daddy, right? <laughs> That's what I say in the book. So it's just the complete misunderstanding of literally how any of this works. So no, dogs don't turn into cats. Species do change over time, but not mm -hmm. in the way that one day a species gives birth to a new species, although arguably with polyploidy and plants, that does happen. But uh, I actually don't talk about that in the book. I don't, from what I remember. Um, so that's one thing. Mm -hmm. um, another common claim where this, it, the, the theme of this claim is present in a lot of these specific ones in the book is something to the effect of like, you know, uh, species always produce the same kind is something people say. Uh, and what's funny is that's exactly what evolution says. Every species that's ever born is the same species as it's the, the generation that produced it, whether mm -hmm. that's uh, one organism as like through asexual reproduction or two as through sexual reproduction. So they don't understand that. Yes, we agree. But um, over extremely long periods of time, yes, changes happen. And anybody that knows anything about me when I talk about evolution, I cannot resist talking about language because languages evolve exactly like species evolve, right? Which is that it's never the case that one day somebody woke up uh, or somebody gave birth to children that speak a different language. That mm -hmm. just 
that just does not happen. Uh, it, it, in fact, it like really can't happen, except in the weird case of certain deaf children that were never taught a sign language have spontaneously invented a sign language before. But anyways, um, the way a species changes or the way a language changes is it's minuscule changes, like fractions of words change over time. Mm -hmm. Fractions of genes change over time. It's just, it just changes in alleles. Maybe a new allele pops up uh, through some sort of random mutation of a pre-existing allele. A new form comes up or the allele frequencies change or a gene gets duplicated. And then slowly over time, that duplicated gene the original one is serving a purpose. The duplicated one slowly changes until it has a new purpose. Well, although no, no person or no generation ever speaks a different language than its parent generation, the generation before it, over time, brand new languages do show up, just mm -hmm. not in one generation. It's the exact same thing with evolution. Yeah. It's not the case that one generation produces a brand new species. That just doesn't happen. That's a great analogy. I, I like I like the language versus evolution. That's really good. I never really thought yeah. of it like that, but yeah, that's probably the best way that yeah, somebody because, can actually vision that. Yeah, because languages like languages are also yes, people who reproduce speak languages, but languages reproduce themselves as mm -hmm. well. Um, because through the way, like you hear, like, well, like with slang terms, right? Like selfie didn't exist in dictionaries 50 years ago and now it does. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that word gets passed around and, and replicated and eventually like, you know, things morph and now, um, uh, well, I don't have too much more to say about that. It's kind of self-evident, I guess, but, yeah. um, uh, one thing that you do see is uh, people that have no idea what they're talking about, like Kent Hovind, will say that um, they'll compare, they'll make really crappy analogies like uh, a car never produces a motorcycle. And it's like cars don't produce anything. They don't reproduce, uh, mm -hmm. which, again, just going back to this is why language is such a good analogy to use because languages do reproduce. So in somebody, this is something to keep in mind. When somebody tries to argue against evolution and they say like blank never becomes this or that or you never see a rock turn into a person or something like that just understand that they're probably not giving you an example of something that reproduces in the first place mm -hmm. so it's a non-starter it's a non-sequitur basically mm -hmm. yeah it's really important to just pay attention to what people say also in parallel with their argument because even just whenever you started out and saying uh, saying the word kind, when somebody says kind, I automatically think they don't really understand what they're about to say. So it, that's like the first, it's like a starter, I guess, to everything. It's like you, you can't start out with quantum physics or kind or just some other jank word that's not scientific. It's like, mm, okay, that makes me think you just, you don't know what you're saying. And then we can kind of build off of that. <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah i don't uh, quantum physics really doesn't come up in the book at all luckily I, I probably wouldn't have been able to really provide the 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 grounded scientific rational answer to it but somebody else can write that book i guess that book probably has been written i suppose oh yeah um another thing uh, mm -hmm. uh 
in a lot of the arguments, it demonstrates that whoever's making the argument uh, doesn't understand genetics really mm. at all, the, the way genetics works. There, there's a lot I could say about this, but you can you can walk somebody through this so incredibly easily and they can prove to themselves, well, you, you can have them prove it to themselves and they'll agree with every single part of the premise except the conclusion. So what genetics proves without a shadow of the doubt is that all life is related. In fact, that's mm -hmm. the only kind of information that you can glean from genetics because the gene is the fundamental unit of heredity. Mm -hmm. it, gets, it gets passed down. If two organisms share genes, common ancestry is the only thing that makes any logical sense with that. That's how we do paternity tests. Um, and by the, by the exact, why do those work? Because it's telling, it's telling you about shared ancestry through the DNA. It's telling you about DNA that was passed down from, from generations earlier. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that all life on this planet shares at least one gene, that's the only thing that makes any sense. And the, the big key thing here is, um, I don't know how much I talk about this in the book, but you know, the theory of evolution is, Darwin's not the originator of it. He just came up with the best theory for how it happens. Um, all of these things we learned, like the, the fossil record as how the fossil record uh, became slowly uncovered and how it's very clearly stratified and broken into eras and genetics, those two things, especially they could have been otherwise. Darwin obviously mm. had, that was like his big shortcoming was he had no idea about how heredity worked. He had this idea of something called gemicals or gemicals or something like that. It's a very weird term. He thought it was something that was in our blood that got passed down and that's wrong, but Nobody really knew anything about that. I mean, Gregor Mendel knew some of the statistic mechanisms behind heredity. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, nobody ever read Mendel's work um, until like the 1900s. But anyways, th this stuff that we learned about genetics, that we are exactly uh, most closely related to the organisms that fundamentally look most like us, which is exactly what you would predict. That's exactly what happened. And uh, all the mammals, we are most genetically similar to them less so to the other vertebrates, even less so to like some, uh, like the microscopic animals, you know, like tardigrades or whatever. Um, and even less so to plants and even less so to, well, I guess actually fungi were more closely related to than plants. So on and so on. It's a perfect hierarchy and it could have been otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that it wasn't is so incredibly powerful. Now, you know what the rebuttal is, right? Instead of it being uh, a hierarchy of of, uh, of not not progress, we don't want to say progress here, but like that everything is kind of related is more like it's it's a it's a simple body plan that like yes, such a such design. creator, yeah yeah there we go yes. <laughs> so they say is they call they call it evidence of design instead. Now yeah. that is what we that is what we call cope. Okay, <laughs> that is just. That that's that's copium, okay? Because just saying that it's well, that could be evidence of design. That's a post diction, not a prediction. That had to be conjured up out of nowhere because there's no choice. Um, it's also a completely useless argument. Um, I'll I'll talk more about this later. 
how like if you if if you say it's designed from a designer that actually has the power to explain literally nothing at all um well it could explain anything which is why it explains nothing at all now it sounds weird but i'll talk more about that later on mm. um so that's that's genetics done with um the i i'm not 100 percent sure this may be the longest section in the entire book, but it's when genetic entropy gets brought up. And mm. genetic entropy, the the Grand Canyon and the flood, those are the longest sections of the book. I I looked into each of them because I wanted to know what's the what's the biggest section in here. Uh, I don't remember the word count off the top of my head, but genetic entropy is you can go on the uh, John Stanford, I think is his name. You can go on his website and read about what he thinks it is, but Genetic entropy is just the idea that mutations are boogeymen. Mutations are always harmful and they accumulate in the gene pool. And so life cannot be ancient because it, it, as you accumulate mutations, which are harmful, which basically turn into random noise or, or, or they're just deleterious, then all populations will fail. So it, it's this very, very bad system of arguments for how life on this planet must be uh what he specifically claims is we come from a original pure stock free of any mutations and it's like if if there were males and females of this of the species then there have to be i don't know why we're not calling them mutations there are genetic differences why are those not mutations, but but everything else? Like it's just there's obviously nothing objective about the way the the way the original population is supposed to be. It's a cruel thing even from like whatever. it's a cruel thing even from like a sociological standpoint. You're like saying that people today are are lesser than than the ones prior. It's like, oh yeah, that's terrible, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sanford just he's actually a geneticist which is so incredibly weird because he just mm. blatantly ignores that natural selection is even a thing because if you, if you have a reproducing population and in, in the book, I talk about actual scientific experiments that, that prove that this isn't true because you can look at a population of, of like bacteria or yeast or whatever. Um, and, and, and you can prove by sequencing their genome and looking at the way the population grows, you can prove that the mutations aren't mostly bad, but you can also prove that it doesn't matter because of natural selection, right? So what natural yeah. selection teaches us is that you have a wide range of genetic variation within your population. Mm -hmm. uh, certain, certain allele combinations, certain, certain genomes, I guess we can say, are more successful in an environment this is what fitness means. So they're better able to reproduce. So those individuals with that genetic composition reproduce the most. And so further generations are going to reflect those uh, strong genetic characteristics from those that are better able to reproduce. So it, yep. it, because natural selection exists, it actually doesn't matter if they're, uh, if they're mostly uh, harmful. The only the only way his argument can work is if all mutations are always bad. We know that this isn't true. We have I, again in the book. I I 
detail some very cool experiments that prove that that's not the case. Um, or the the other way it could work is if, well, it's it's only most mutations that are harmful. The only way that could work is if all members of a population reproduce. Because then you're guaranteeing that the harmful mutations continue being passed down. Mm-hmm. Now, in even, but even in, th- there's a case where that can happen, like with bacteria. Well, they reproduce through binary fission. So basically every member is reproducing, but they're going to get outcompeted by those that don't have harmful mutations. Because um, th- the way you measure fitness is by r- the reproductive rate of an organism, right? Because those are those that have more fitness are more successful and they reproduce more, right? Mm-hmm. So you can have you can have a, a thousand bacteria, 90% of them have crappy mutations, 10% of them have good mutations. They're going to overtake the other population. I mean, it's 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 simple. Uh the fossil record. Another, yeah. I kind of already touched on this, but mm, a, yes. a enormously successful part of the theory of evolution is the fossil record because it proves without any shadow of a doubt that the organisms of the past were different than the organisms of today. And again, just like genetics, that is exactly what the theory of evolution predicted. And it could have been otherwise. Like mm-hmm. it's famously been said, you can you can disrupt the entire evolutionary paradigm in one simple way. Evolutionary scientists hate this one simple trick. Find a rabbit in the belly of a T-Rex. That's all you have to do. That that would that would be the only thing you would completely disrupt everything we know. And it it's it's never happened. It's it's never happened. Now, there's some other specific things about like the fossil record in here, like uh the Kent the Kent Ham uh or Ken Ham classic yeah. uh a, a fossil proves nothing other than an organism died. Well, that's uh, that's a unique thing. There are many claims in this book that um that 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 are like that in that they are true and mean nothing at all it means nothing significant at all uh because yes uh well, well actually this one's not really true because there's way more we can establish about a fossil other than other than it died um mm-hmm. but in a way that it, it's true and it also proves nothing a lot of the flat earth claims are are like that as well so um another thing about that 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 i've commonly seen with talking about people with evolution is they pretend the evidence like literally doesn't exist and i think a lot of people just don't know about the evidence but a lot of people do like we were talking about stephen meyer a little Mm -hmm. bit ago he he knows all about like what the composition of the fossil record is he just tactically ignores uh large swaths of it in order to mm-hmm. form his argument which is extremely dishonest um mm-hmm. but i've had people say to me the evidence will never be found because it doesn't exist well that the end of all science because the end of all critical thinking the end of mm-hmm. all empirical investigation you've just claimed that we know what the what the conclusion is and no investigation would ever be able to do anything about it because you've claimed the evidence doesn't exist in the first place so that's 
that that's hilarious in a in a tragic sad sort of way i guess um there's a lot of parroting of arguments that are literally from the 1800s which is really unfortunate <laughs> um such as uh talking about the cambrian explosion uh yes in the 1800s that was a, a bit thorny but we we now know of a era before it the ediacaran Mm-hmm. Right. So this this argument is literally more than 100 years out of date. Uh, and people misquote Darwin himself, too. Yeah. If you don't mind, um, I, I actually want to plug a previous podcast that I had with um, with Brennan Martins um, and Trevor Rempert. We actually talked about the Ediacaran and well, we talked about the Ediacaran and the Cambrian explosion. So if you ever wanted to learn more about that, you should definitely check out that podcast. It was really good. Sorry, didn't mean to yeah, I should. jump in and plug. <laughs> no, that's cool. I should listen to that. The last one of yours I listened to was the one about water rights, uh, which was oh. really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a really good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. Didn't um, mean to oh, no, that's that's totally fine. Um, uh, another common thing, and this is actually common with like every, pretty much every aspect in this book. It's not just evolution, but people don't seem to understand that having evidence isn't an argument it's it's proof and people pretend that arguments are evidence and and they're not they're just arguments and i can create a mm-hmm. counter argument now until one of us has evolution or has evidence uh we don't really know you can't say your argument is better than my argument unless like it's possible to make an argument that is like contradicts itself and then we can mm-hmm. throw that out but in a lot of the cases yeah, they, yeah, they just they, an argument is not evidence. That's that's a a common theme that pops up over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. just sort of some quick fire things about ev- uh, evolution. Again, it's the longest section in the book. I could talk about it forever, but evolution is not random. It's not ra- natural selection is non-random. What mm-hmm. produces the genetic variation within a population in one generation? Uh, that is going. There's a. It's mostly random right? The, the genetic genetic recombination is random. Uh, spontaneous mutations that happen are random, but natural selection isn't. So they, mm-hmm. they pretend that the entire process is random. Um, and yes, if it were random, then it would produce nothing. Like there wouldn't be much rhyme or reason to how do actually the strongest survive. That's not how it works. And they just don't understand it. Yeah. Um, the whole argument about, uh, it's not adapt. It's not evolution. It's adaptation. Adaptation is not a thing that happens. You cannot, an, an organism acquires its adaptations by evolution happening. It's, it's just, it's so incredibly ironic that people say that. Another common thing is micro evolution versus macro evolution. Um, saying macroevolution doesn't happen is not a good argument because again, it's actually a straw man because scientists don't think that macroevolution happens, right? Now I already did the, the language analogy earlier. So that that's going to cover uh, how large changes happen over long spans of time uh, without macroevolution ever happening in one instance. But um, one of the only couple more things on evolution. Yeah. Um, there's the again it, in order to commit yourself to denying this you have to make many arguments and a lot of them contradict themselves so for example uh we just went over how they say that evolution is random 
Well, they claim that evolution is random, but then they also claim that evolution fails to achieve the goals that evolution must have, right? Now, this, I didn't, I didn't realize this until I started writing the books, but they say, why aren't other animals turning into humans if evolution is true? But first of all, there's a whole separate discussion of why that would happen, mm -hmm. uh, which I do talk about in the book, which we won't unpack here. But are you telling me it's both random and it has goals? Yeah. I mean, you can't, you cannot argue those two things at the same time. People also argue, I do this in the book. Why aren't other animals smart? Like we are, I have a, I have a very interesting take as to, uh, are we actually all that smart? <laughs> so there's that in there. Um, Egotistic. Why has no animal? Yeah. If, uh, if evolution's true, then every predator or every species that is prey should be able to fly because you can get away from predators that way. <laughs> it's like the, a dumb argument it, it does evolution's all about good enough not like what could make you literally not like what could what could give you a 100 percent survival mm -hmm. uh odds every single time that that's not what evolution does but yeah you're, you're telling me why doesn't evolution have goals and it's random at the same time it's so it's so dumb um and then there's the the final thing is like abiogenesis you know that's not evolution. It, it's a different process. It operates under different like natural laws. Um, but the the only I, I do talk I don't talk about abiogenesis very much in here because it's so bewilderingly confusing. But the one of the main points I make in here is that literally nothing about life is miraculous. The basic chemistry of life is totally known. And if it were miraculous, it couldn't be known. You mm -hmm. cannot scientifically describe magic or miracles to me. You cannot. Um, and so it, is that supporting evidence of abiogenesis? I think it's extremely strong supporting evidence of it because why would the origin of something be fundamentally different than its operation? You know? Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, there we are. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, I um, think, yeah. Sorry. You want to talk about the Big Bang? Um, so the Big Bang section is one of the sections that I really enjoyed uh, reviewing. That was a good section. So tell me about some of the misconceptions in that section. Sure. This one will be far more brief. Ba basically, all the other ones are are much more. Well, I have a lot to say about young Earth creationism, but um, <laughs> the Big Bang. Uh, people want to they, they demand that science uh answer for the crime of claiming that the universe came from nothing which again science has never claimed that si science has no opinion on what nothing could even possibly be you know for all for all for all science uh is concerned with there is no such thing as nothing <laughs> you know so the big bang has never been that uh, and so we we don't we don't claim that uh, science also really doesn't have much of an opinion of what made the Big Bang happen. I, I mean, there are some I do talk about in here where perhaps the universe existed in some sort of weird quantum state before it began to expand. Um, and, and that could be the origin of the Big Bang, I guess. But 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 what people are really demanding is where did the universe come from? We don't know. Um, mm -hmm. You don't know either. And I, I'm not trying to tell you that I do have an answer, but you are. And yours isn't 
based on any science, of course. Something really interesting, and I'd, I I need to like talk to Blitz or somebody about this and see what they think. But in a YouTube video comment I saw today on one of my videos, somebody said, um, "Space time," because the person was arguing like space time began to exist. Well, that doesn't mean, and I've always kind of thought like you don't know that, or like you don't have any evidence of that necessarily. But but actually, even if space time began to e exist yeah before the universe began to expand there may not have been any space time but that doesn't mean that the universe was produced from something that isn't a universe it's just that it changed states in such a dramatic way that it evolved into something else mm -hmm. right so it's so I, I just thought that was really interesting i was yeah. like oh the yeah, i'm gonna i'm gonna talk i'm gonna bring that up next time the classical approach is well, the classical approach to it in classical mechanics is that yes, it, it space time started at the the moment of the beginning of the Big Bang model. Um, that yes. could be something completely different based on what we think happened prior to the Big Bang model start, but we don't really know that. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of ambiguity there, uh, and a lot of uh, that physics that needs to be done <laughs> for for us to yeah. make any sort of claim well, I mean about space time. Yeah, I, I mean, the universe at this point has heavy elements in it. It it didn't right away. Mm -hmm. um, and, th and that's not because heavy elements came from, we're not deposited into our universe from outside of the universe, right? And mm -hmm. so that's what I thought was interesting about the claim. Even if space-time began to exist, much like uranium atoms began to exist at one point, uh, that doesn't mean that we must, there. That, that doesn't mean that we're now stuck with trying to account for where the universe came from saying space-time began to exist is not the same as at one point the universe didn't exist and now it does uh right. at least not necessarily certainly so i, I just yeah. thought that was really interesting and blitz can correct me on this but like space-time is a construct to to be able to explain how matter and energy move within what exists so to me mm -hmm. um from my from my point of view it's like space-time really isn't a thing unless there's something prior to everything existing. So in the moment after the Big Bang started, that's whenever you can say, oh, there's a space time. But like outside yeah. of that, it really doesn't mean anything to me until there's there's empirical evidence that there's something prior. So to me, it comes into existence, but Blitz might have some totally other thing that I, I'm completely ignoring. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're uh, we are not in our wheelhouse right now, but you know, it, um other misconceptions uh the big bang is not an actual explosion it's not it's, it's an expansion it, it's yeah. it's a clickbait title right it was actually coined as a pejorative by fred hoyle uh he didn't like the big bang he believed in a steady state model he died believing in a steady state model and not thinking the big bang was true um can i say something interest uh, interesting about that uh something yeah. that i should have said in the review of your book but uh, alas, I, I, I forgot. Um, one good thing to point out is that like, because of this expansion, it's not an explosion because it's an expansion that everywhere you are, say like whether you're in the Andromeda galaxy or the Milky Way galaxy, you are technically in the center of the universe. However, your view of your horizon changes. So that's, that's one kind of cool thing to think about is like uh, about how the expansion really is. It's not like you're you're coming from the center of a sphere because there is no 
there's no like you know middle point or center of the universe you're more like on an ex you're on like the the shell of the balloon right if, if the balloon is expanding from a center point you're on the shell of the balloon so everything is actually the the center of the universe you're just horizon changes which is pretty neat yeah i have some oh man i don't know where they are i have some really cool transparency things that model an expanding universe and you shift them around and no matter where you are you can see that everything mm -hmm. looks like it's expanding away from you yeah it's mm -hmm. you can just use a grid of dots and then a slightly bigger grid of the same number of dots and shift it around and you'll see that's exact lawrence krauss pointed that out to me uh I say that as if I was in the room with him. I saw it on YouTube. And from that point on, I was like, that that is such a good way of visualizing that. So I've used it ever since. Yeah. But uh yeah, it's it's not an actual explosion. It's no. the but I, I've heard far dumber things. I, I've heard people say that the Big Bang was when two atoms rubbed together. Um <laughs> there, would, there would have to be more than there would have to only be two atoms in this universe. <laughs> I I Sorry. don't that just I don't understand where that comes from. Um, there's also kind of in the Big Bang, uh, the fine tuning argument gets brought up. And uh, I, Sean Carroll was on Star Talk a few weeks ago, and, and he said, I regard the fine tuning argument as being the best argument that, that theists have or whatever, um, but I still find it to be a terrible <laughs> argument. So I thought that what was is, that was funny. What is the fine tuning argument? If you don't mind, just just to, it is early for me. Yeah, it, it's just the idea that the the con there's like 31 or something like that fundamental constants in the universe, and if any of them were slightly oh. different, then uh, we probably couldn't get stars. Like it, there's there's a lot of different implications for it. The yeah, you could have it so that the electron just immediately collapses into the proton, and then we just don't get any like interesting matter to ever form in the universe um or the ex like the expansion of the universe uh d if gravity was slightly stronger it would have immediately collapsed the universe again and so space-time wouldn't exist uh th there are several different ways you can point this out but other versions of the fine-tuning argument simply say that uh the universe appears to be finely tuned for intelligent life so that's basically the anthropic principle now, it, it's an interesting argument. I talk about it more in the book. What I think, I, I think its shortcomings are it assumes too much. Um, but it, it also, it, we're working from a sample size of one universe. So we have no idea that this is the only universe that can exist. Exactly. Uh, so is this universe actually, you know, all that special? But then kind of like the ironic thing that I talk about in this book is, you know, if the universe is finely tuned for intelligent life, then where's the need for some sort of creator that made the universe? Because life would just be an inevitable consequence of the way the universe is structured. So yeah. th th this immediately nullifies all of the arguments that necessitate a miraculous creation for life, at least. You know, at best, all it gets you to is deism. A god creates the universe and then sits back and everything unfolds the way it does because that's how the creator set up the universe. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I guess I don't know. Uh, for me, it's just a, an extremely like egotistic argument from from the point of view of a human. That's that's all, that's the only way I can think of it, because a, yeah, a lot of, sort of. It, it's just stuff that that we've kind of constructed to be able to explain the universe that we're in. You know, it's what we're given. However, it it, it might not 
there, there's things that, that still haven't been fully explained and it's the relativity of wrong of how we're interpreting our universe like we have mathematics to say that like well technically it could could also be we could also be living in an anti-de-sitter space which is which is a negative curvature universe but we're living in a positive curvature universe and we can't really fully uh you know explain how you know general relativity and and uh, quantum mechanics kind of come together so it's just a lazy argument and and i think that's where sean's like yeah, yeah. it's the best argument but it's yeah he probably would also say it's egotistical same point but yeah possibly yeah Off my uh the the last thing about the big bang that i really want to say is uh it's the big bang is also not random right so people say like uh so you think we so you think some random explosion happened and that produced human beings that's impossible and it's like no the again the laws of nature are not random they they don't operate randomly if that were the case it would be impossible to do science it'd be impossible to do any kind of empiricism uh because anytime you try to investigate something it would be different every time if things operated randomly um we would literally live in a a, a tv static universe because television static is basically total randomness funny enough um the you know we and this kind of goes back to what you were just talking about the the egotism or whatever uh humans have teleology we, we have reasons for doing things right but we insist that the universe must also have a teleology when no i mean the, the universe is vast mostly empty uh cruel it it, it it hovers between unbearably cold and and uh, uh unbearably hot you know mm -hmm. and so th there's there's just there's there's nothing in the 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 chaotic structure of the universe that tells me anything miraculous uh is responsible for it but yeah, it, but also at the same time, it's it's not random. The reason things happen in our universe is very much non-random. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> I I don't know why, but just for some reason, like the um the anthropomorphism just like popped into my head with like, it's like oh the the photon doesn't experience time, so whenever it gets emitted from from the sun, it like hits your buttocks on the on the uh on the beach, and you know it it never had a chance to like live. It's like well, photons are a photon. It doesn't have consciousness it it just gets emitted and hits its target or or whatever and that's it there's there's no it's the same thing with like stars being born and stars dying there is no born or dying that's just kind of like i don't know projecting like the human experience onto an object essentially yeah uh richard dawkins calls this the tyranny of the discontinuous mind so we basically it's a very smart way of saying we we anthropomorphize everything oh yeah that's that's essentially what it means at least that's how i understood it definitely um th that's really it for the the big bang's a pretty short section in the book mm -hmm. uh there's plenty of stuff that i didn't talk about in there so you know check it out yeah. there's there's way more but uh, next is uh science and rationality i kind of combined them i guess mm-hmm mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's um, that's good. I like this section. Yeah, um, it it was it was cool. To, I didn't know what this book would be about when I started writing it. Um, I I thought I would do a climate section, and 
I ended up not wanting to do that because it would be really short. Um, and I, I, I just thought it wouldn't be particularly, and, and also really the only major gripe I have with climate arguments is like people literally don't think greenhouse gases even exist, which is so incredibly silly. Uh, th th there'd really only be a couple of arguments to, to make about it because sort of at the end of the day, like what we choose to do about climate change is, is all about, um, Policy, policy decisions yep. and i'm not gonna i don't i didn't i wanted to write an apolitical book so Agreed. you know there's that but anyways science and rationality so uh people just don't know what science is and and i don't mean like philosophically they bicker about verification versus falsification which is like uh, david hume versus uh karl popper right no i mean like th they just literally don't get the scientific enterprise, um, uh, scholarship in, in general, how the scientific method works or anything like that. So for example, uh, people say that the scientific method is circular reasoning. Uh, I, I have more about this in the flat earth section, but they're, they're just like, uh, they, they claim that forming a hypothesis is confirmation bias and circular reasoning, which is like really insanely dumb um, I, I'll go into more detail about what that means later on, but um, uh, people also claim that science and academics is argument from authority. You know, I I, I actually read a comment in a, several comments in a video I saw today, a, a Dan McClellan video, and the people were saying, so he's a he's an academic, he's a biblical scholar, and so he talks about how yeah most researchers who have studied this do not think x y or z and what the people what this person in the comment section was saying is that he's committing a bandwagon fallacy and i've which is so that's not how that fallacy works at all now so the bandwagon fallacy is where you assume that something is true or good just because most people believe in it now, when we say scientific consensus, and I actually tackle this claim in the book, consensus isn't science. Yes, it is. Because the consensus is not people's opinions. The consensus is a reflection. It's basically a meta-analysis of the scientific data, right? Um, so yes, consensus actually is science. And I've had an argument like this with with people before I talk about this in the book where I, I told somebody, well, the majority of scholars or academics agree that it's this. And the person's genuine response was, I can find certain people who say otherwise, therefore your claim is irrelevant. And I was like, look, Either of us could be wrong, you know, that, that, that's always a possibility. And science is open. Science is fundamentally skeptical, right? We, we don't assume any conclusion in science is true. That's why we keep experimenting, right? However, if the name, and, and I kind of talk about philosophically what science is designed to do in a lot of different parts in the book, but you know, it's not about the absolute truth. What it's about is what is the best way to to inform us of what the truth likely is or what it at least smells like 
right? Mm -hmm. That's that's the utility of science. It's just simply a different way of thinking, right? Now, academic consensus is not irrelevant. If if we're trying to decide, we we have competing claims, and we want to try to go with, you know, for gambling on claims. What what are we? What should we best go with? Like if you're if you're rolling a roulette wheel, are you better off just picking two numbers, or, or one of the colors? Because half the half the roulette wheel is black, half of it is red. Um, or you could just pick one number. Well, you're obviously best off picking one of the colors, right? And so that's and this guy was pretending that just because somebody thinks it might land on seventeen. That holds equal weight to somebody else saying, no, just like pick the thing that represents half the half the data. And it's mm -hmm. just it's so it's so that's just a failure of even knowing how to think on that one. So that's that's yeah. one thing. Um I kind of talked about this earlier. Uh people just don't really get what counts as evidence. Um science has evidence uh the other people all anyone else has are just arguments right so i mean that's just it, it's kind of hard to to unpack that without just picking like a really specific example from the book but yeah i mean science deals in the realm of evidence that can be repeated now i i guess like we did talk about an example earlier the the design argument versus what genetics uncovered about life the, the other thing is literally just an argument and it's mm -hmm. it, it's only designed to try to bolster previously made arguments which were formed in the absence of evidence uh but science actually has evidence so mm -hmm. so there um a lot of what I, what I also see is a lot of people unironically argue from ignorance Right, and, and this happens with a lot of specific claims. I talk about it in the science section, but any proposition, you don't assume that a proposition is true until it is proved false. Now, like an exception for that may be like some a priori assumptions, like about the way we actually do logic or do science in the first place. But that that's an interesting side conversation. But mm -hmm. um we don't assume that somebody's argument is true until it's proven false and it it i don't want to say this somebody makes an argument right i think blank um and they pretend that well science hasn't figured out how where the universe came from for example that doesn't make your argument more likely that is not positive evidence in favor of your argument. And, and people don't get that. When a contrary argument does not produce evidence, that does not add points to your side. And a lot of, of anti-scientific arguments rely on that tactic. And they just unironically think that they've actually made a point when, when they haven't. It's just arguing from ignorance. Yep. I agree with that. Um, and sort of, sort of along that same theme, you know, if you're going to argue or claim that science is inadequate at answering some sort of question, what these people don't realize is you've now given justi justification for any and all mythologies, stories, or supernatural phenomena, right? Science says 
blank is impossible or or science can't answer blank. Therefore, let me insert my belief system. And I do this with people all the time. I say, you know what? Okay. Then it was Spanky. I'm just going to claim it was Spanky is a, a magical hippopotamus wizard that I invented. And then I, I found one on eBay and I gave him a hat and shades. I claim that Spanky is the answer to everything. And I just say that Spanky has all the attributes of whatever you're arguing uh, in favor for. And what people start to realize is that their claim is no better than this thing, right? Um, so shout, yeah, they, shout they, out. these people live live in shout out to Spanky, yeah. Shout these people live in this world where the options are um, my claim is true, or or nothing is true, almost, or or either the scientific answer is true, or my claim is true. It's like uh, billions of people have millions of beliefs. Okay, it's mm -hmm. not just it's it's a false dichotomy is what they're presenting with us, like presenting us with, I guess. So there's unfortunately something really deep about that, though, with how people want to be right to kind of I don't know stand out in a crowd. Um, also, there's this, that also tribalistic standpoint. It's like, well, I mean, if you know, if it's if it, if you don't believe me, then it's then hit the road. You know, if you're not in my if if you're if you're opposing my tribe then I don't want anything to do with you kind of a deal. So it's, it's, it's funny how that, that shows even, even today, of course, we haven't escaped that as like a society. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember if what movie this is from, but it's my way or the highway, right? Yep. Maybe that's like a James Dean movie or something. I don't know. Or as George Bush eloquently put it, uh, you're either with us or against us. Yep. That was yep. his uh, great war on terror uh quote so there we go anyways it's not a political book <laughs> um, no. another another argument that people make about science uh we're, we're on the science section is um most scientific ideas are proven false i was talking to a flat earther a few days ago um and he he was saying that the reason he doesn't believe uh one of the major reasons he doesn't believe uh the the heliocentric model or whatever is that they keep changing the answer for how far away the sun is. When Galileo was alive, they said it was 3 million miles away. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if people said that back then. Uh, but today they say it's 93 million miles. And so I kept asking like, okay, what specific problem do you have with the way the number 93 million miles was calculated? And he really wasn't expecting me to say that because he had absolutely no answer for it. <laughs> um, because the whole thing, because he, he doesn't even know how it's calculated. Uh, mm -hmm. But the whole thing is just based on the idea that science changes. Therefore, yeah. that's its weakness, right? Um, this is very dumb. Uh, but it also kind of gets to the heart of a lot of people that are anti-scientific are extremely dogmatic. And I talk about this in the book. People want, they demand that science work in a way that's dogmatic. They think that science should only have value if it asserts itself authoritatively and dogmatically. And that's that's just so unappealing and that's yeah. completely wrong and it's against the spirit of the way scientific inquiry is done. Um, right. When science... So there are several things to say about this. Uh, <laughs> no scientific 
idea has ever been disproven by like the Bible, for example. That's never been done. Um, some typically the only way to disprove a scientific idea is with science, right? I've never the people I argue with, whenever I ask them, what do you think the best way of figuring out things about the world is, they always agree that it's science. So um sometimes like like good journalism uncovers uh scientific mistakes or or outright fraud you know but usually it's it's better science so when there are errors made in science and uh, but then those errors are find, found out by doing better science mm -hmm. that's accountability right what different kind of belief systems have is this dogmatism right uh i like Kent Hovind, in, in a debate he did once, I heard him say, uh, they're arguing, like, talking about how new scientific information changes. And he said, well, the Bible doesn't need to be updated because it's true. You know, so th that's just complete, I mean, that's just so intellectually dishonest, right? My thing is true because it's true. It's correct because it's true, right? So, but people like, gravitate towards that and they and they crave that you know why well, I, I wouldn't necessarily create say crave i guess but that that's attractive to so many people and it's really tragic and unfortunate um it's because it's you know, easy science oh yeah i think yeah it's, science it's easy. better it's, than that yeah 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 because now you don't have to keep updating you know your your yeah. thought process or, or your information bank when whenever change happens it's just well it's true now i don't have to it, it it's there i don't have to think about it I don't have to change my mind. Boom. I can move on with my other daily tasks. Just easy. I don't want to say lazy. Yeah. It's easy. But yeah, well, I mean, but pe people don't think about what they're saying. Like, like, would you actually, would you, would you actually want to subscribe to a person or a belief system that just simply never takes accountability for being wrong? Not only doesn't take accountability for it, but claims that it can't be wrong i mean a, a lot of people uh, especially like religious zealots they they say those types of things openly most people don't actually most people understand that that's unacceptable uh but a lot of people just don't think about that um mm -hmm. so anyways a couple more things on science and then we're done with uh, this second part here but mm -hmm. just getting back to the whole like most scientific ideas are, are proven to be false. Well, the ones we say are accurate are scientifically proven via the scientific method through empirical evidence. Uh, it may be experiments. It may just be observations, but that's that's still science, right? Mm -hmm. This is another thing that this comes up in the young earth creationism stuff, but they, they don't know what science is or how it works. Um, but um, like I said, these are predictions that have come true, right? All scientific ideas could have gone otherwise, um, but they didn't. They were proven. The ones that weren't proven, science has discarded those. I have a series of episodes on my podcast about debunked scientific ideas or theories, right? Like vitalism. Nobody thinks that vitalism is true anymore. Recapitulation. Nobody thinks that's true anymore. Um, the uh, The... Classical elements weren't really a scientific idea, but, you know, we got rid of those. Um, man, I do the 
podcast, but I can't remember the other episodes. Oh, spontaneous generation, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a- another scientific idea that we totally got rid of. Uh, the ether is because, another good example. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> I haven't done an episode on that one, but there yeah, you go. You, you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, th- one of the big problems is that humans don't live for hundreds of years. So, for example, nobody who is sane that lived through the time when infant mortality was between 20 to 50 percent would argue that vaccines are harmful, for example. And nobody that lived through uh, the, the, the whole process of how evolution, for example, or, 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 or the other scientific ideas, nobody who lived through the process of how the science kept repeatedly over and over again being demonstrated to be correct and how the counter arguments have had to move the goalposts or completely reinvent their their arguments nobody who actually could see that process from beginning to end um would be able to would see the consistency in science and the inconsistency and everything else and truly objectively be able to see like yeah this, this other side they've just been making shit up <laughs> the whole time agreed agreed okay so i think we're that can conclude segment number two and then when we come back we're going to talk about young earth creationism flat earth and then also rational arguments that nobody can review so stick around awesome so let's start out with young earth creationism because that's always fun to talk about, especially in the yes. science communication realm. So please, man, take me through some of these um, misconceptions slash claims, I guess, that that uh, come that came up in your book. Yeah, um, the the number one thing that you need to know about young earth creationism is that it is a form of religious bigotry pretending to be science and rationalism. Now, that might sound a little bit cruel. But you can't make an argument that it's not a form of religious bigotry without committing the very same bigotry I'm talking about. Uh, because because it's, a, it's hyper-specific. It, it's a Christian phenomenon here in the United States. Obviously, in other parts of the world, people believe other things and different things. And some people have very strict religious interpretations. Other people have more flexible interpretations like the catholic church for example um but this particular like militant branch of young earth creationism they're going to tell you that their version of how everything went and happened and goes and what counts as good science and bad science and the history of the earth they're going to claim that their version of it is true because their book is their interpretation of the book is true because they have a special relationship that other people are tempted by Satan. It's, you can't call it anything other than bigotry, which Mm -hmm. bigotry is just like an an unreasonable attachment to a particular set of beliefs. Now I talk about in the book about, um, I'm not going to spell it out here, but like science is not like, so I'm a person sitting here telling you that, they're wrong and i'm right and is this bigotry well it's not bigotry because scientific information you cannot argue that you have a unreasonable attachment to scientific information that's just simply silly 
because these these other arguments are based on logical fallacies. I actually list like 31 logical fallacies at the end of the book for people that just have an index for. But science isn't a bandwagon fallacy. It's not an argument from ignorance. It's not an argument from authority. Um, it doesn't engage in special pleading. All of the the logical sins that are, are committed to make these counter arguments, science doesn't do that. So, from a scientific worldview, saying that young earth creationism is wrong is not bigotry. So there. Um, they, uh, just to unpack more, I, I mean, they they claim that their claims are, are justified by claiming that their version of Christianity is true, right? Or mm. or they'll engage in circular reasoning, like uh, they'll, they'll quote Psalm 119, 160, which basically says the word of God is true. So... I, we know that we know that Earth isn't billions of years old, because the same book claims that it's true. Uh, that's that's not an argument. I mean, it's a circular argument. But uh, mm -hmm. you, I think you know about this. But I have a book. This book <laughs> is true. There, that proves it. I mean, that is unironically what they are doing. So I'm so glad this is the first book I ever wrote. It's. Uh, only a couple of pages long, but <laughs> this was actually my first book. Rational Answers to Stupid Questions was my second book. But I wrote this book just to make a point, and uh, that's the point. I love that. So, anyways, um, I talked about this earlier, but um, when we were doing evolution, I think it was, the problem with appealing to a god of infinite power and ability is that that actually explains nothing. Now, this that probably sounds off because um, I, I'm telling you that this God has infinite powers, so it explains nothing. Well, here's, here's the problem. It, that creator, that God, could have done anything. And we find that they, they change their narrative all the time to say, like, for example, the intelligent, the, the, uh, intelligent design or like the genetics is the hallmark of a creator, right? Uh, because that creator God could have done anything, it means we have no idea what this God actually does or thinks or wants or anything. Because it could have been anything. Now, if this still doesn't make any sense, if you still don't believe me, uh, ask, ask a Catholic what their God does, thinks, or wants. And then ask a Protestant. And then ask a Baptist. And then ask a Mormon. And then ask a Seventh-day Adventist. And then ask a Calvinist. And then ask a pagan. And then ask a Jewish person. And then ask a Shia Muslim. And then I think you'll, you'll understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. They all have sometimes slightly, sometimes significantly different answers to what that God thinks, does, wants, etc., and so it literally can't explain anything because th these people's claims or or ask Spanky, right? Because all of these claims are it are just as good at this, at 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 contributing to epistemology, which is to say they're all equally bad. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Spanky. <laughs> um, so that's sort of the that that's sort of the setup but uh so like young earth creationists i mean they live in a different reality mm -hmm. um and so they have to create just such bozo things that are funny 
um, but also just mind-numbingly. Uh, young Earth creationism actually sometimes almost makes me angry. I, I, I say in the book, you know, when you talk to a flat earther, that's annoying, but it's kind of entertaining and it's kind of cute in a way because they're just, you know, some naive conspiracy theorist, you know, for the most part. But what I say in the book is talking to young earth creationists oftentimes makes me want to do a cannonball into a wood chipper. I don't know if you remember reading that part or not, yep. because it's just the stuff that they say, it, The it's just, it's so bad. And a lot of it's extremely um, offensive. And you can also see the tactics that they're employing. Uh, it's, it's very shallow and you, you, you can see the, 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 how unethical it is. So anyways, some particular things. Um, they, well, before I before I do that, I want to make sure that I mention this. I want to say that there is some good in it because young, I think young earth creationism creates more religious skeptics than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, yes, it's extremely effective at at brainwashing a lot of people, but these those were people that are deeply committed to that kind of thing in the first place. Yeah. But like uh, Ken Ham. That guy has probably made more secular atheists than than, than Richard Dawkins has. Oh. Yeah. Oh, definitely more than he's converted. Yeah. Yeah, because they're just so there's just such goofballs and they're just such shallow, indecent people too. So, anyways, I wanted to make sure I I I, I think that I I think that they will uh, build their own coffins by doing what they do, which is nice. Yeah, they also, you know, it also, it's so, un, it's unironically, it, it's just funny because like all those guys, whether it's that, it's it's Meyer or Ham or, or Kent Hoven, they're always trying to sell you something. That's, that's, that's what always yeah, sticks out to me. It's not like they're really trying to, con they're trying to convert you to, to sell you things. And unfortunately that turns a lot of people off and the silly arguments that they make like Young Earth creationism, it ends up just like, like you said, if you have like, a shred of an idea about how science works it just turns you like mm -hmm. yeah unless you're deeply committed yeah okay so anyways um the particular things with young earth creationism so um because of the terribly inconvenient facts of things like the fact that we can see billions of light years so the universe obviously isn't thousands of years old now i go over in the book they're unbelievably terrible uh, counter argument to that but the the fact that we have radiometric isotope data that clearly tells us that the earth isn't thousands of years old um that we can see billions of light years and, and like e like e you go anywhere and like look at some erosional feature and it's plainly obvious that it didn't form over the course of it, it wasn't you can argue that god just made it look that way which is deceptive and I think that violates the character of God. Like, you know, you look at a, at a waterfall cut canyon and, you know, the waterfall doesn't, you could watch it for 500 years and not see the waterfall move at all. Mm -hmm. um, but the landscape clearly, uh, clearly was carved by a waterfall, or at least that's how it appears. Now, the only argument you can make really is that God just made it look that way. Um, there's also an argument about like, well, the universe looks old because God made it look old. Well, that's deceptive. And that violates the character of God 
uh, a lot of people would argue, which is why a lot of people don't believe that it actually is young, because that's, anyways, I keep going on tangents. Um, so because they are forced to exist in an alternative reality, they have to do things like just simply deny reality. They deny the very concept of studying the past counting as science. Mm -hmm. They they make this the, the Ken, Ken Ham really does the most of this. He says there's observational science and historical science. Ugh. And like in a way, this is like almost kind of true, but literally everything we do involves making assumptions. And everything we experience requires us to rationalize about the past. There, there's nothing fundamentally different about 10 seconds ago versus 10 million years ago. Um, I can obviously, more of the things that happened 10 seconds ago, I have direct access to. But there's, if you're going to tell me that if, sir, if this data, you just reject this data because it means that we have to assume millions or billions of years and you can't observe billions of years. I'm just going to tell you, what about, okay, so millions of years doesn't work. What about hundreds of thousands of years? What about tens of thousands of years? What about thousands of years? And you guys believe in stuff that happens thousands of years ago and that we have evidence of it. I mean, what's just, I mean, it's unbelievable. They claim like, well, you don't know because you weren't there, right? That Like that's their argument about how the earth formed. And it's like, were you, were you in the Garden of Eden? No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, so what are you talking about? And they say, well, well you need a, a witness. Let's just gloss over that eyewitness testimony is the most unreliable form of evidence, I guess. Yeah, that's for sure. But that that's not the argument. You weren't there, right? So you're relying on what you consider evidence. I, I consider it very terrible evidence, but whatever. But we're both relying on evidence. You're just saying yours is better because thousands is smaller than billions. Um, and you have a book, and I'm looking at the the speed of light and the distances in our universe. And in what way is that better? It, it, I mean, it's just not, it's just so silly. So um, yeah, that, that's one big thing. Um, the, I mean, the, the funniest thing about this is, and we talked about this, is absolutely nothing. There is zero evidence that says the earth is as young as they think it is. Right. They they pull on things like in the book I talk about, they say uh, the moon is getting farther away from Earth. And if you take the rate at which the moon is getting away from Earth, the moon like basically is if you run the clock backwards, the moon is like touching the Earth one and a half billion years ago. Therefore, Earth is six thousand years old. It's like what? I, the moon is not a clock. It's not a dating method. Nobody would be silly enough to think that it is. But like they do this constantly. They say science proves that blank is billions of years old or blank is millions of years old. Therefore, Earth is 6,000 years old. It's like, what are you what are you at? What are you doing? What are you trying to do here? It's yep. just it's so funny. It's so silly. Um, uh, like, like if you pick the moon thing, uh, not that the moon is a clock, but okay. 
secular science says that the earth is about 4.6 billion years old that makes us off by a, a magnitude of three right um we're, we're we're off by a factor of three actually is what i should say not a magnitude of three um yeah. we're off by a factor of three mm -hmm. the, for them they're off by like a factor of two hundred and fifty thousand. they're off by a factor of a quarter of a million so it's like what makes yours better i don't i don't understand and that's, that's, that's so dumb but um yeah uh the the most the most egregious thing is that they are pretending to do science mm. uh I, I i i talk about that in the book they they do these things where like uh they look at like they look at certain science like uh like genetics like mitochondrial eve so i i talk about that in the book they claim that mitochondrial eve proved humans are only six thousand years old none of the mitochondrial data supports that right and they, and they know that but they're pretending to do science to to talk scientifically in order to push this foregone conclusion um but the other big egregious thing is like uh like with the speed of light, you know, they have, if you go on answers in Genesis, they have a, they have a page dedicated to the, the speed of light problem and the size of the universe problem. We can see billions of light years. So they, they always pretend to be doing science and saying that science proves the Bible and science proves evolution is impossible. Right. But at the end of the day, when it comes to stuff like that, okay. Where's your scientific explanation for the fact that we can see billions of light years? At the end of it, they just openly say, oh, it's a miracle. So they're they're trying to, and they I know why they do this. It's not even hard to, to figure out. They begin their arguments this way because uh, everybody that knows how to think knows that science is overwhelmingly comp compelling. Science is incredibly compelling. It's it's a methodology that people at least get and understand enough and, and understand the obje objectivity of it and that it's an extremely good metric and standard. Mm -hmm. And so they pretend to do that. Uh, and then they just tell you, they they parrot that the science proves what they're saying. And and they do all this pseudoscientific stuff. But then at the end, they just go, they're and, and therefore a miracle. Uh, or, or, but, but it was actually a miracle. Why did you bother with any of the scientific stuff in the middle? There was it served absolutely no purpose. You were just trying to set that up. So that's like the the dastardly thing that they do. Um, mm -hmm. But another another hilarious thing, uh, and by hilarious I mean infuriating thing that they do is they pull on secular science to try to disprove secular science. And flat earthers do this too. Uh, mm. Flat earthers say like, uh, well, Einstein proved blah, blah, or, or uh, uh, here's an easier one, the Van Allen belts, right? I, I know you've heard this. We couldn't have gone to the moon because the radiation in the Van Allen belts is so intense that it would have killed anybody trying to go through it. So that, that we're, we're sort of jumping ship here, but, but it's fine. That Young earth creationists do the same thing. I just can't think of an example off the top of my head. But you're telling me, as a flat earther, you don't believe space exists. You don't believe there are Van Allen belts. Your argument is predicated on assuming that they do exist, 
that there is space and that there's dangerous radiation in the Van Allen belts. And therefore, we couldn't have gone to space in the Van Allen belts. Oh, and by the way, none of those things exist. I mean, like, what are you doing? What, what, what are, can we insert that, that uh, Michael Jordan meme where he goes, stop it, get help. It's just, it's so, but uh, the young earth creationists, they do that too. And it's like the, the genetics thing that, again you'll you'll read about it in the book but they with the mitochondrial eve and stuff like that they 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 use what they'll do is they'll they'll write a they'll write up a, a paper or like a web page where they they grab a published study done by a, a molecular geneticist or an evolutionary biologist who doesn't agree with their conclusions and saying this evidence supports our conclusion that's so backwards and and dumb and just logically and intellectually bankrupt. It's just so mm -hmm. stupid. But but that's the strategy. Uh, yeah. The other thing that they that they want to do, and we know this is true, is they they want to seed doubt in secular science. Yeah. Because you know, like the the well organized groups, uh, we know this because they have a wedge document. They, they they actually want the United States to be a theocratic state. You know, and so it's just it's it's oh man, I can't stand it. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's uh, the, the sad part and genius part of this is that like if you start out your web page or whatever by um, pulling scientific information, right, um, and 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 supporting whatever claim that they have via that, the problem is like the majority of people don't read the entire article that's written. So by the time that they end up getting through this. Um, information about the molecular biologist or the evolutionary biologist, they they never get to the end to really, most people don't get to the end to see that like whatever they're forming makes no sense. And I think that's the problem where it's like they're using science as their clickbait way to draw people in, especially the people that don't fully read things or pay attention to things or or whatever. It's, it's like the uh, it's like that study that like that like tw the Twitter did. No, no, he, they didn't do a study. But like, you know how like on Twitter, whenever Twitter was good, you could actually like uh, share. Um, you could retweet an article, and it would ask you if you've actually read it or not before you retweeted it. Like, because there's oh, so many people that actually don't read the article; they just read the title and go, "Huh, this fits my narrative," and then and then retweets it. That article could literally just be like a bunch of bs <laughs> it could be <laughs> yeah so it could be something about mitochondrial um, eve and it's it's actually you know not but you know yeah they they that happens in this book they um they uh they quote this scientist who says um they actually do it in two different you have to read the book to get the specifics but they quote this scientist who says if we look at the data in this way then the uh it's it's something about the way like the mitochondrial dna diverges or whatever uh then the scientist that they quote says we we arrive at only thousands of years or something like that and they put that they clip that quote and they put it in there and like the title of the webpage was like science admits or or confirms or proves uh 
a literal Eve, right? So dishonest. But the very, the very next thing that that scientist says is, of course, nobody thinks this is the case. Mm-hmm. As they deliberately left that out, which is, I of mean, course. that's that's not different than lying. When you're, I mean, to me, it's a form of lying. Uh, when you deliberately, when you intentionally lead out information to peddle, uh, to peddle a, a an idea that you're trying to get people to believe in, th- that's really a form of lying. Yeah, I, I uh, if you ask I agree. Me. It, I don't think it could be anything other than than lying. I mean, it's just it's extremely dishonest. But it, a step further, it's lying. You're you're yeah. lying to whoever's trying to read what you have to say, and that's yeah, not okay. Um, me. speaking of this uh, articles and not reading them or whatever, I, this mm-hmm. is a little bit different. But um, I don't know if you know who Inspiring Philosophy is, but he and I had a a pretty uh, spirited back and forth on TikTok, where not on a live stream, but just making videos. And uh, it, it all stemmed from him saying that Christianity uh, invented science, ended slavery, and is, ex- and is responsible for most of the moral progress that's been made in human history. And I was like, that's, that's insane. Wow. And I had a lot of things to say about it. But like, one of my main points was, uh, it's completely undeniable that as the world collectively has become more secular, we have th- that has also tracked with us being embroiled in in fewer wars and conflict, with the flourishing of science and scientific information, and all these technology. And so, as we've gone away from that, all these things have increased. I mean, they're they're negatively correlated, mm-hmm. right? Um. His response to that, I, I don't remember specifically what he said, but w- when I made that point, he just argued like studies have shown that uh, religiosity increases uh, blank and blank and blank, right? And he he did this thing where he does like a collage of a whole bunch of papers. And mm. I, I paused his video. I was like, what are these? I looked at them. <laughs> One of the papers was a paper that studied uh it compared the grades that high schoolers that go to christian schools get versus other kids i was like in the context of talking about the the global trends over the last several centuries of interstate conflict you cited a you bolstered your argument that christianity had something to do with it by putting up a paper about the grades high schoolers that go to christian schools get uh, one of the other papers was like uh, uh, the big five personality traits and how religiosity uh, apparently makes you less likely to be neurotic and and more likely to be like what like it has favorable big five personality traits. I was like the 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 fact that you tried to conflate those and said that here I have all these studies that that demonstrate you're wrong, Peterson, and and it was that I was just like man I I that was just so so anyways. I just had to say that. <laughs> Not only that, but um, they're probably they're probably papers that like back to what you said earlier that it might it's probably not consensus papers and they're probably just papers that are cherry picked to support his his argument really. Yeah, it could be there's this thing called like the law of small numbers where um in my new book facts that aren't true I I talk about this. Why do I talk about this? I don't, oh, it's cuz it, I was talking about uh, does sugar 
cause hyperactivity and it doesn't. One of the problems is if you have a small sample size, you're very likely, you're likely to get statistical outliers. And then you can take that and extract and generalize about the rest of the population or whatever. Like for example, what I talk about in the book is in small rural towns in America, you can find small rural towns in America that have uh, rates of heart disease that are so much lower than than like big cities or like the at like the average for the country and so mm. people come up with all these arguments like well yeah that's because like you know they're they're free of all the pollutants from big cities and people are are more active if it's rural people are are outside doing chores and so they're more active and blah 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 right but at the exact same time you can find small rural towns in america where the rate of heart disease is sky high and you can make arguments like well yeah they're because they don't have access to health care like they do in big cities um because their diets are going to be probably a little bit more limited people tend to make less money so they they don't buy as good a quality food i can rationalize the exact opposite thing from that yeah. so it's it's a cool thing called the law of small numbers if anybody if you want to like be confused but really learn a lot about about like how how data is understood and like uh like social psychology and i don't i i mean like the way group groups of people think uh you got to read daniel kahneman it's hard stuff to read but it, it's really fascinating and interesting anyways uh getting back to what we're talking about um another thing that like the young earth creationists say they argue is um uh you're just assuming right um like for example we can see billions of light years. We are just assuming the speed of light has always been constant. For example, um, one, one, one of the one of the more fun claims I, I debunk in here is they say that uh, inflation just lasted a lot longer. That's why the universe is is really big. And mm. uh, the short of it is, you would we would have no large scale structures in the universe at all if that nope. happened. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. So. I don't, I don't want to say any more about that, but, um, but no, like when they say we well, are just as, or like uh, with radiometric dating, uh, yeah, I, uranium lead isotopes, the, the analysis of zircon crystals tells us that these crystals are billions of years old. We're just assuming that you have blink, blink, blink. So no, in science, we don't just assume anything the scientific body of knowledge is composed of proven ideas and they're just pretending that that's not the case. And so it's, um, it's, it's aggravating. This is a kind of an important point to bring up. Um, mm -hmm. when I say something, so a lot of over the years, what I've heard is a lot of people say, uh, that are against science say science can't prove anything. I, that is, this is actually a claim in the book that I talk about. Um, and a lot of a lot of science communicators say science never like absolutely proves anything or whatever, whatever, whatever. And I've always done that, but I don't do that anymore. Now I do not claim that science has absolute certainty, uh, but you know they don't either. So they, they don't have anything special. But people mistake. People don't understand what it means to prove something. To prove something just, and funny enough, I, I got this argument from a creationist. 
To prove something means nothing other than to produce evidence in favor of it. All it means to prove something and all science is composed of is proven ideas in that sense, right? Whereas the others, it's like, we've, we, we've seen what they do. They engage in circular reasoning, right? Mm -hmm. They claim that they claim that their claims that come from their book are true because the book says that the book is true and, and all that kind of stuff. So, right. Um, the last thing with Younger's creationism, uh, they're obsessed with the flood. Uh, there are a couple sections in here where they talk about how uh, Noah's flood best explains the fossil record. I do a, a quite extensive deep dive into how that's not—that's absolutely not the case. Um, and uh, they talk about how the the Grand. The, one of the most fun things to do in here is the Grand Canyon. They claim the Grand Canyon could have formed in just a manner of weeks because of Noah's flood. So the deal is, this flood that we're trying to be sold to believe in is a global flood for which there is absolutely zero evidence of what they do is they go to specific places and they say, look, here's evidence of the flood. Um, but a, but a global flood would leave evidence everywhere. Uh, what they never do is go to Topeka, Kansas to show you the evidence. If a global flood happened, there would be evidence in Topeka, Kansas. There'd be evidence here in, where I'm at in California, there'd be evidence everywhere. Mm -hmm. There isn't. They, they go to these a few places and they like they cherry pick something. They they try to look at something that show like, oh, this is like in um in in Washington State. There are I don't know if you've seen those, but there are those huge undulations in the earth. Like you know yeah. when water flows over a sand bed, it makes little ripples. Yeah, there are those exist in Washington, but they're enormous. Yeah. Now we have. We have good evidence of what that was. These were ice dams in the, like in Montana, basically during the last glacial maximum, and yeah. they would break and huge floods would flow through. So floods have happened. Really big floods have happened, but a global flood would leave evidence everywhere. And you can only find evidence in a couple of spots. So mm -hmm. that's, that's one of the big things, but I talk, I talk about the flood a lot in here. There's a lot to, to read about and dissect with that. Mm -hmm. um flat earth yes absolutely let's do it <laughs> so um they're, they're actually there are um and i don't know there might actually be more flat earth claims than than anything else in this book I'm not 100 percent sure i don't i don't have an actual count of them and mm. my computer is being i've said this before but my computer is being really slow um there's a decent I, amount of flat I'll, earth I'll claims, but they're, they're yeah, not like, a lot. they're easy. I think to yeah. debunk in my opinion, I, yes. from, from remembering the section, the section is there are a lot of claims, but like, like you said, their, their claims are, are like, their, uh, their arguments are extremely shallow and it's, it's easy to just say, this is it. This is, this is the answer. You know, this, this makes no sense. Yeah. So there's about there's about 30 evolution claims in the book. And hmm. for flat earth, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. I think that that looks like half. So there, there's like basically an equal amount. Right. But hmm. yeah, most of them, there are there are a lot of them, but they're so bad. And, you know, it's not that long of a section. It's, it's probably only half the length of the of the evolution section 
because there's just what they're talking about is just so silly and just bad. It's, this is the dumb section of the book. I mean, it 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 really, really, really is. And I I do poison the well. I do engage in ad homs in the flat Earth section, and I I, I say that in the in the prelude to it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I. It, <laughs> Not everything is is worthy of respect, you know, especially especially from people that just say the most outlandish conspiratorial and oftentimes extremely hateful things that they say. So you reap what you sow. I, I think yeah. I think their book says something to that effect. But anyways, um, that being said, I don't have a ton to say here about it because really with flat earth you just have to go over specifically what they're saying but um what's really obvious from all the stuff i've heard from them and and all of their attempts to try to justify what they say is they literally don't know how to think and it's 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 extremely obvious so like a fun fact for example yesterday some flat earthers on youtube were doing a live stream debunking of a video i uploaded uh, really? Somebody told me about it, and I, I went in and watched it, and I I joined the chat, and they're like, "He's actually here." <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, what they were talking about in there as is um, I showed a photograph of some wind turbines mm-hmm. on the ocean, and this is what you see, right? Mm-hmm. So that's very clearly because the curvature of the Earth is is obscuring the bottom. Like th- these wind turbines are huge; they're like 200, 300 feet tall. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's obscuring it. And so they were arguing, uh, no, that it's called forced perspective. See, when I take my hand, it looks small. When I put my hand up here, it looks big and it covers up my face. And I was like, what? And so what they were arguing was the waves on the ocean are covering up the, the wind turbines. And that they obviously have put zero thought into that because that is just so stupid. First of all, it we are above the level of the water. If the earth is flat, I'm above the level of the water. So those waves would have to be much taller than me mm-hmm. for that. Like like technically if I went outside and there was a fence, it would cover up the top half of what I'm trying to look at. Okay. But these waves are extremely far away. This is obviously just a drawing. You'd have to look at the picture yourself, but just I think if you just google horizon on on like and like go to wikipedia oh my camera focus went away um i got this photo from googling horizon i think or going on wikipedia and looking up horizon you can see the photo yourself and you can really clearly see that the 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 horizon is miles away and this it, it's not these huge waves that are bobbing up and down the waves are a couple of feet tall at the most mm-hmm. um and like it, it's obscuring hundreds of feet of of these wind turbines, and it's just it's just mind boggling how they can arrive at something like they have their conclusion in mind already. Obviously, they find the the most pathetic morsel of something that could, in principle if the conditions were radically different from what they're proposing would almost explain what they're would almost explain their, their claim or whatever, but it 
doesn't do that in reality. It's so unbelievably dumb. And, and this happens with everything you try to talk to them about. Why does only this much of this, like with a globe, this much of this earth is lit, right? 50% of the globe is, is lit at all times by the sun. On a flat earth model, this makes no sense. And their, their rebuttal is, well, I got some chewing gum, a lighter, three dead squirrels, and a cardboard box that I used to prove that Antarctica doesn't exist or, or something, right? That is the level to which they, they, they try to make counter arguments to this stuff. And it's just, it's so unbelievably terrible. What, what happens a lot in the flat earth section that, that doesn't happen so much in others is, is I really clearly spell out, look, if, uh, so for example, they talk about the moon is, oh, we have a small local moon. They also say small local sun, right? Okay. Here's the short of it. If, if the moon were very, very far away, what that would mean is every, so like, for example, we, we can demonstrate this right here. You're sitting like right in front of your computer screen. If you close one eye and then the other, and you look at the stuff in your room, you're going to see a, a shift in perspective of things, right? Mm -hmm. If the moon were close, then two people standing thousands of miles apart would be looking at completely different parts of that moon. That's obviously not what happens, right? It only makes sense if we put the moon extremely far away, the the observations that we have are perfectly explained by that. That that's what happens a lot in the flat earth section. Yep. Because it's it's not what you shouldn't do when you argue with a flat or what you should do when you argue with a flat earther is just ask them, okay, if the moon was really far away and Earth is spherical, what would the moon look like? And what you find is it looks exactly like what it looks like out there. And then you compare that to the flat. You see, it completely falls apart. So that's done over and over again in here, too, with uh, with tremendous success and with much hilarity ensuing, if I don't say so myself. Um, another thing is uh, they that flat earthers have absolutely no idea how logical fallacies work. So, like, for example, they will say that um, uh, there's no evidence that like there are no photos of a, of the Earth. And it's like, we've been to space and taken pictures of it. And they're like, oh, uh, where'd you get that from, NASA? That's an argument from authority. And it's like, oh, you, you idiots. Again, once again, I've said this a few times. Evidence isn't an argument, right? And this, this isn't an argument from authority. An argument from authority is when you say, it's when you claim that what somebody is saying is true because they're an authoritative figure, right? That's not what we're doing. We're just we're saying that the evidence exists. So they 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 turn a, a conversation about whether or not the evidence exists into uh, tr trying to make it sound like you're committing logical fallacies. It's it's just it's so dumb. It's pathetic. Um, yeah, and. Uh, they also have no clue how to do science. So I, I prefaced this earlier. So here's an example of, of what, how this works. That, like, I don't know. He's probably the most well-known flurfer now. Uh, his name is, he goes by Witsit. 
Um, if you go on YouTube and look up Modern Day Debate, that YouTube channel, he's been on there probably 30 times. He just goes on all this, and he's just so, so unbelievably incompetent. And he says things like, um, they call science they don't like confirmation bias. So he repeatedly makes this argument of, you assume the model, and then you engage in circular reasoning, right? So he, he's saying like, because um, like it's, it's been told to him many times that the flat earth model can't explain anything. And so what he's what they start to do is they say there is there's no flat earth model there is no flat earth model there's also no globe model or whatever they just claim that models don't exist apparently but they also say like um you assume the distance to the moon and then you make an argument based on it and you engage in circular reasoning and it's like you idiot that's how a hypothesis works a hypothesis is a tentative but as of yet untested explanation for a proposed for, for an observed phenomenon or whatever right mm -hmm. you have to uh, a hypothesis isn't a question it's a statement that resolves a phenomenon so in other words the hypothesis assumes that it's true that's the only way you can do science um i would I'd, I would hate, love to debate this guy because I have no clue what he thinks science is. Because if you think that, if you, if you think that assuming a model and then testing it, therefore engaging in circular reasoning, but uh, if he thinks that's not science, then I have no clue what he thinks science is. He must think that science, and I think they do think this because they say stuff like, um, uh, well. So basically, pretty sure his idea of science is go outside and just go, oh, like just look at the world. And then, but you have to draw conclusions at some point. Mm -hmm. So where's the science in that? I mean, philosophers, uh, ancient, like natural philosophers or whatever, did that. And that's why they were wrong about everything. Everything. Like read... I, I think I say this in the book, read anything that's vaguely scientific from Ptolemy or, or Aristotle or Galen or mm -hmm. well, those are the big ones. None of it has stood the test of time because they weren't doing science. So I have no, I, I have no clue what he could, what they could, because a lot of people make that same sort of argument. I have no clue what they could possibly be talking about, what they think science is. But anyways, that's that's flat earthers for you wow yeah <laughs> i love so um I, I love that you could literally deconstruct their entire um th just their entire like model or whatever based on not even having to use science honestly like the whole conspiracy of yeah. itself you don't even have to use science you, you just use normal reasoning and it just falls apart like the, their their major their major uh, I think gripe is with with um with authority figures with with government and um and they you know they're always after like uh like NASA for example but you don't have to work for NASA to to hide the fact that there's a globe like there's professionals all over the world that study geology astronomy physics whatever and 
all of them will say that we live on a globe. So that means that like most working people in the world have to say that, you know, or hide this fact that we're actually living on a flat earth and that none of the practices make any sense. Yeah. So yeah, those guys are doing the YouTube live stream of uh, debunking me when they realized I was there. They, they kept, they kept calling me a paid shill, which was so funny. I mean, <laughs> technically I'm a public school teacher, so I am paid by the government kind of. Um, so I, but like the idea that I, the, the idea that I go to secret meetings where we sit there and we all go, all right, guys, like, just so we're on the same page. We all know the Earth is a is a flat, stationary, topographical plane, but we're going to lie about it to, I don't know, so that we can do communism or or turn <laughs> turn the turn the kids LGBTQ. Make the frogs just, gay. It's, <laughs> yeah, turn the freaking frogs gay. Yeah, that, oh, God, it's so dumb. <laughs> but I, it's it's a. Talking to flat earthers is is my uh, uh, intellectual fast food, uh, guilty pleasure. I guess that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about in the flat earth section, or would you like to move on to the rational arguments that nobody can review? No, I mean, like I said, there's like thirty or so flat earth claims, and and they're all kind of wildly different. Uh, mm. It's just that they all have the same theme. They literally don't know how to think. Uh, they don't even understand their own, th the implications for the earth being flat. Like mm -hmm. there, there are so many observations that are physically impossible if the earth is flat and they just pretend that uh, they just aren't even aware of it. And when you make them aware of it, they just change the subject or, or do something stupid. So you, you have to just go through uh, each pile of manure one by one. So there you go. The the way to win any flat earth debate or just, yeah, just say it that way. The only way to, to win it is to just literally ask them a question about what they're trying to, to argue and it falls apart. There you go. Case closed. <laughs> so, much. so tell me about um, these rational arguments that nobody can review. I know that you have a, a few of them that you would like to um, to bring up. Sure. Yeah, there are only there are only six total in there, I believe. Uh, one, mm. two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. So these are I, I didn't, I never had this idea until I almost finished the book because I thought like the, the book is all about going on defense, right? Because because uh, it's you know responding to claims, right? Mm -hmm. Um. Now in a lot of in a lot of like throughout the book. I think that the way I actually spell out the, the evidence contrary to the claims um, and well, I, that, that's basically it. Uh, I do regard that as being, you know, rock solid uh, mm -hmm. against, against these claims. Right. But, you know, again, these, these are responses. So I, I, I started to think like, what arguments can our side make? Where it basically becomes like you have no hope on on yeah. this one, um, and I don't remember what like sparked that, but I uh, that's that's where. Well, actually, no, I do remember. I I was listening to, um, his name is 
something. Uh, he's a uh, good name. Man. Oh, Ken Ken Miller, Kenneth Miller. He's a okay. he's uh, I could grab it right over there. The most popular science textbook in in for high schoolers in the country. It's it's Pearson Biology. Uh, he's like one of the co-authors for it. He's an evolutionary biologist. He's also a Christian too, which is which is kind of cool. But mm. he was like the he was like the main. I guess, uh, okay, I don't know legalese. He was either the main defendant or the star witness or or whatever for the Dover versus Kits or the the Dover area school district versus Kitzmiller or whatever. That was the intelligent design trial from 2004. Oh. If you've never heard about that, where they basically proved that that's where the wedge document got exposed and they proved that intelligent design was just religion masquerading as science. So mm. he, he argued against it and he was doing this little presentation where he's like, when we showed this to the intelligent design advocates, they, they, they had no counter argument. They didn't even try to say anything about this. And so that's where I was like, you know, I should try to find a few of those things where you can just yeah. use them as like, uh, because I'm a, a millennial, I say, these are the blue eyes, white dragon cards of uh of debating so they only have to deal with evolution and um uh uh the flat earth but just like really quick I, i'll just kind of say what they are without saying too much because you got to read mm -hmm. the book um right which by the time this goes up the book won't be out quite yet my my goal it well uh, well that kind of depends on your end it, it may be really close on my end it won't be out for a little while my goal mm. is hopefully by the end of the year uh or or the, the the very beginning of 2024 uh that's the goal for the the book coming out but there's some stuff we gotta figure out for then but anyways coming soon uh the first one is endogenous retrovirus markers in human and chimpanzee dna so th the short of it is there are viral sequences of DNA in our genome. Uh, we have, um, how many do we have? Um, we, we have 211 of them in our DNA. Chimpanzees share 205 of them. This is the equivalent of, let's say that, let's say that when Europeans sailed to the new world, uh, they got there and the indigenous people people were speaking English. It's the equivalent of that. The only way that's possible is if at some point somebody from Europe sailed over there and uh, they just didn't know about it and were telling all and, and taught them English, right? It it can't be a coincidence. Okay. I the the it's actually been calculated. Um uh the the odds are are like i don't even know how to say this properly numbers almost can't you almost can't do it with with words um the odds are less than one over uh not just the number of atoms in the universe but but literally dozens of orders of magnitude greater than that wow um it's just it, it's you cannot argue that this is a coincidence and so there, there's absolutely nothing no uh, it's a rational argument that nobody can rebut. They have no hope, right? Nice. Um, the other one is human chromosome number two. 
so humans have 46 chromosomes, uh, 23 pairs. Mm-hmm. The other great apes have 48. They have 24 pairs. So it was, it was proposed that there must have been a fusion of chromosomes. Um, and, you know, without giving away all the details, we, we found it. And mm-hmm. it has, it, you can find it on our chromosome number two, you find exactly the same genes as you find on two uh, uh, two separate chromosomes in chimpanzees. Uh, the, mm. You're done. Like I didn't know that. There, That's there, cool. There is no. Oh yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, wow. There's there's nothing you're going to be able to argue against that. You you have no hope of producing anything. Um, and then for the flat Earth thing, the fact that the night sky rotates in two different directions. So yeah, my globe my globe is up there. But this is just Earth does this, which means it has two poles of rotation. I don't think a pole of rotation is a term, but whatever. Which means on a spinning globe, there will be exactly two points where around you, everything appears to be rotating around a central point, and they will do so in opposite directions. On a flat Earth, where whatever the hell the universe is, is rotating around a, a flat stationary Earth, it is physically impossible to have two central points of rotation in two opposite directions uh it's physically impossible they have they have i've brought it up several times there's never any argument the best anybody ever comes up with is uh that idiot i was talking about earlier wits it he's his his response was perspective is just a thing that happens that was the best they could do so there you go. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Those, those uh, another one is uh, the fact that people in different hemispheres see different stars. There's there's absolutely nothing you will ever come up with for yeah. why somebody just a j- just a few hundred miles south of the equator can't see the North Star. There, there's you have no hope of yeah. ever coming up with anything for that. Um. The fact that people in the southern hemisphere see the same thing if they look south, right? For a globe Earth or a flat Earth, north is no problem because everybody looks to the north and then looks up. So we all see we all see Polaris, mm-hmm. right? Um, but on a flat Earth, south is just the opposite of north, which is a, a singular point. So south is a series of rays that point away from north. No two people, no matter where they are, I mean, you you could argue like if you're right next to somebody and you look south, you're seeing the same thing. But two people that are only a few hundred miles apart looking south are looking completely different directions. But when we look, when when you're in the southern hemisphere and you look south and then you look up, everybody's pointing to the same thing. That is physically impossible. Again, if the earth is, if the earth is flat. Um, And then uh, the last thing is the Coriolis effect. Uh, Really just because the the globe model perfectly explains why it happens. The flat earth model has no, and this is another thing that it fails to do. It can't explain why anything happens. It just like makes assertions, right? Mm -hmm. As a globe model, there's, it's, it's extremely parsimonious. It's, it's simple, right? 
Um, and the Coriolis effect is, is actually incredibly simple and elegant and parsimonious and other words that mean the same thing. Um, and so we don't have to jump through these crazy, we, we don't have to do these insanely stupid mental gymnastics to try and explain why do we observe some particular phenomenon? So again, it goes back to the, if the earth were a globe, this is exactly what you would see. And the only thing they can ever respond is with like, yeah, but there's no evidence or, or whatever. So yeah. 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 That's really good. Um, I, I got to say, like, like he said, I I've reviewed the book. I, I loved it. Um, I, I think I reviewed what maybe one, two, the four sections of the book. And um, I, I got to say, it's, it's a really fun read. Um, it's, it's a, it's a relatively short read too. And like I said, you don't go, like there, it, it goes into depths when it when it needs to go into to depth, um, and I think it's it's just something that's going to teach you how, how to recognize these claims in like um in like a colloquial setting, and you'll be able to react to these just you'll just be able to react uh, to people and think and think about their shallow arguments and how you can respond or or just identify what they're trying to to get at. So it, it's a great book. I think it's a great handbook, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I had the opportunity to review it. And also, thanks for being on the podcast, man. This has been fantastic. We we covered a lot, and I appreciate it. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> yeah, we certainly did. Uh, well, yeah, did. no, I mean, it's it's, no, I, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm glad that you, uh like the book and I'm, I'm super appreciative that you, uh, that you want to offer your feedback and yeah, I, I used a lot of your feedback. Yeah. Like the, the, just for funsies, uh, the mm -hmm. book is the book's like roughly 70,000 words. And I don't, you probably have most of us. I don't think really have much of an idea of what that means in terms of length of a book, but like the, the, um, the like body of the book is, 235 pages right so i th i think that's kind of an average book yeah you know uh a, a person could probably read this book in six hours yeah i would say so yeah awesome well man uh thanks again for being on the podcast and i do oh, do you have anything else that you would like to add regarding uh the book or or anything else coming up no um like i said i i do not have a uh publication date really up mm -hmm. for it yet i i have to send the book off to a, a i'm gonna i'm using a company that does self-publication so like i'll be the publisher they just mm -hmm. like design the book and and print it so that it can be like purchased on demand or whatever um my unfortunately my computer is uh out of service right now and that's where my book is so i have to wait uh couple more weeks to get that back but then i'm going to get the ball rolling as fast as i can um if i find out more uh by the time this goes up then we'll just publish that in the in the description with yeah. uh like a, a link to where you'll be able to get it too i Absolutely. suppose so yeah and even on my on my website you'll be able to to find the book um based on the the podcast episode page so it should be good it should be in the the show notes um, anywhere that, that this podcast is, you'll be able to find a link to the book. So just for anyone that's watching or listening on my end, because <laughs> I know you also want to, you want to publish the same podcast on your end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome.
cool. Well, hey, man, thanks again for being on the show. And um, it's always great to chat with you. Oh, yeah, my pleasure.